Machination Log for April 17th, 2016. This is David Paddock, and I have Mitchell in for the first time in the new format. Mitchell, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? What? Um, I'm still playing too much Stardew Valley, but I don't want to dwell on that for too long. That's true. Mitchell, what are we here to chat about? Well, I wanted to talk about beer, and it's been a while since I've been on the podcast, so I figured I'd pick a topic, and... I wanted to just kind of talk about, like, the history of beer and brewing and talk about what I'm doing with home brewing. This is the least comfortable position I can be in, given that I don't like beer. I know. It's awesome. And um, this <laughs> is, I guess this is mostly a growth experience for me, although, Mitchell, I don't know how much experience you have doing college's number one enticing craft um, home brew. Have you actually done it before? Yes, I've, I've, I'm working on my fifth homebrew right now. So. Have you figured out how to compel yourself not to put so much alcohol in it that it tastes awful yet? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going easy on that. I want to make good beers, not beers that have super amounts of hops or alcohol. Yeah, because from the sounds of it, that's basically whenever anyone gets into homebrew, it's like, we're going to make 15% <laughs> yeah, that's, fucking ridiculous. And then it tastes gonna like... It's going to be terrible. And then it tastes bad for everyone, not merely just me. Although, I don't know how... Uh, how hops intensive that's i just exhausted my entire knowledge of beer but um you might learn something apparently hops <laughs> is the part that i don't like in beer yeah um that's problematic since all beer now has hops in it I, yeah i know yeah I, but you can go easy on it like the the beer that i'm brewing now shouldn't be very happy so. what is the all right how did this all start? All right. Well, let me go into history. And if I drone on too much, feel free to, to interrupt me with questions. Or, it's whatever. It's I'll, whatever. All as, right. as necessary, I'll interject, but yeah. you have the floor. Sounds good. So beer, beer has been around for, as far as we know, about 5,000 years, pretty much since civilization started harvesting grain. People have been brewing beer from that grain because beer is basically fermenting the sugars that are found in grains like uh, wheat or barley or oats or pretty much anything. You can do it with rice or corn, although those aren't quite as prevalent. Um, so yeah, it's uh, started out, so yeast is what actually does the fermentation. Uh, yeast wasn't actually discovered as an individual organism until 1680. Uh, so until then, for the first 4,000, 5,000 years... Of it was magic. Brewing, it was basically magic, yes. The uh, <laughs> fermentation happened from... Actu it was actually spontaneous fermentation from yeast particles in the air interacting with the sugars in cereals, which are just the harvested grains. Um, so yeah, basically magic. They, they didn't really know about yeast for a long time until after that. Um, and it's interesting because the first brewers tended to actually be female. So most goddesses, most deities that were dedicated to brewing or the harvest or anything like that were actually female. They were goddesses. Uh, that's true for Mesopotamia and Egypt and all the way up until Rome. All the deities and tended to be female for brewing. Before the dramatic downsizing on the number of deities. Yes. Yeah. When we went down to one, it, it made it a little harder. Yeah, it's hard to be diverse in that cast. Yeah. And, and Although once, the consumption gods are all still males. They are, yeah. Dionysus is definitely a guy. So Dionysus is a guy. Was that was the uh that was the Greek one too, right? Yeah. What was the Roman? Bacchus? Bacchus also. I think Bacchus guy. is the other one. So that just exhausted my Roman and Greek mythology. Yeah, so. they didn't gender swap those. They did a couple of times. I can't remember. Mm. But uh yeah. So that was like ancient ancient beer. And ancient ancient beer was not at all like beer you drink now. It was really soupy and kind of chunky. Um, so like what, ancient, were, what were the chunks? 
The chunks were byproducts of the fermentation. Um, it was also just grains that were still in there from the fermentation. They so they just really, did a bad job filtering it? They didn't really have filtration uh, back then, so that was the, the main thing. So it was actually drunk from a straw, usually, back in ancient Sumeria. Excellent. Yes. It's like a so, milkshake. Which is generally frowned upon now. You don't really drink beer from straws anymore, but that's how it was done back in the day. Um, so that was like super ancient, super ancient uh, beer brewing. And you're bringing it back. And we're bringing it back. So, uh, so beer is actually. I don't. Is, was that sarcasm? Are you bringing it back? It's are you kinda, making it's chunky been, soup beer? <laughs> hopefully not. I'm trying to filter it a little bit better than that. Okay. So going. In, so talking about how it, how it was chunky and ended up ended up that way. You kind of have to talk about how beer is actually produced. Um, so there are kind of a couple steps in the process. The first is that the grains that you harvest, whether it's uh, barley, which is the most common one for beer, or wheat, or rye, or anything like that. Uh, those grains are actually malted, and malting is when you expose those harvested grains to water to start the germination process, where it would start growing into a new plant. But then you stop that process before it can actually grow into a new plant. So you uh, you dry it out after it starts germinating, and that's malting. That kind of what that does. It doesn't uh, create new sugars or anything. What that does is it creates the enzymes that convert the starches in those grains into sugars. Um, and then what you can do after that, you can do kind of one of two things to those malted grains. Uh, one thing that you can do is mash those grains, which is how you get the base for beer. Uh, mashing grains is when you take those malted grains um, and boil them in water, basically, or you kind of vary the temperature a couple times, but you put them in water. Um, and what that does is it causes those enzymes to convert these starches into sugar. So you're basically getting more complicated sugars out of the grains that you're harvesting. Can you malt other stuff? You can malt any grain. You can probably malt other things as well. Apples? <laughs> you might. Can you make malt wine? You can make malt wine, yeah. And you can is that a malt. thing? I, I believe so. I don't know how I've it never is. seen it before. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's mostly a thing for, for beer. So with, uh, with wines, it's a little different because you're actually just using the sugars that are in the grapes or juices that you're harvesting uh, instead of malting the fruits. I don't know how it would work if you tried to malt the grapes or apples. Someone get back to us in the forums yeah, about that. Yeah, we have to, to look into that. Uh, the other thing that you can do with malted grains is you can kind of, uh, it's usually called either caramelizing or crystallizing them uh, by putting them in a kiln or just heating them up. And uh, what that does is it just kind of, uh, it doesn't create new sugars really. It just kind of crystallizes the grains, so you can use those to add into the base, into the mashed grains, uh, to kind of add different flavors or, or whatnot to the beer. So you're using the same grains, but you're using them in a different way to add different flavors. What flavors are you adding? So the ones that I'm doing, so you can get uh, malted barley that's crystallized is kind of categorized by how much it's crystallized so it, it's by the color really um so you can get it, it's called like crystal and then one l would be the lightest what you would use for like a, a lager or a pilsner uh what i used for the beer that i did last time is 20 l so it's kind of a light color uh kind of what's add, the spectrum uh what do you mean one l 20 l where does it stop it goes really high. You can get up to like uh, roasted, uh, roasted malts can go up to like 500L. Okay. Yeah. So that's what you would use for a stout or uh, something like that. 
most the most common one is going to be 60L. It's kind of a middle ground. That's what you would use for pale ales and stuff like that. Is that what you're doing? I'm doing a wheat ale, and I'm using 20L, which should be a lighter color. It'll kind of add a little bit more straw color as well as a very light caramel clary flavor. Do you care what color it is? Yeah, the color matters. I care yeah. what color it is. <laughs> Are you going to fix it after the fact if it's not satisfactory? You can add food dye. I would not recommend that. <laughs> you want to get the right color the first time when you actually make it. So you're just going to throw it out if it's wrong? Pretty much. The last one that I did, the last one that finished carbonating in bottles ended up being not good at all. I kind of screwed it up, and I know how I screwed it up. So I'm trying to drink it so it doesn't go to waste, but it is not good. <laughs> I've still got uh, 11. Stew in your failure? Yeah, I, I, I make eight bo- 18 bottle batches, and I've still got 11 bottles of that that I have to go through. Yeah, mm. It's not good. Do you have a sick label yet? I have a label. I haven't printed it out yet, but I did order that on Amazon. I ordered some label paper uh, so I can actually do that. So hopefully I can have that for next time. I only ordered one set of sheets, so if it doesn't work like I want it to, I can. What color's the base on the label? The base is white. So, okay. Yeah, I can. You can't get like different colors. You, can't. you might be able to. I'm not. I'm I would not, hope so. Yeah. I, on Amazon, I just I just went with the white. I can print colors on it if I need to. That'll be expensive. I recommend crown. Crown would work too. I could just print a black and white outline, and people can come and fill it in with the yeah. colors that they want. Yeah, exactly. That's a great idea. Actually, That's, yeah. I'm okay with that. I'll, I'll get See, I can't advise on the actual stuff that goes in the bottle, but I can advise all day on what you put on the outside. On the outside? Yeah. No, that, that works. I'll, I'll run it by you when I get that. <laughs> I assume at this point it's possible to buy literally everything you need from Amazon. Uh, pretty much. There's actually, though, a homebrew store that's about five minutes away from me, so that's where I've been getting most of the That's pretty supplies. convenient. It is very convenient, and uh, that's where I get the yeast and the malted... Uh, liquid extract and the grains and the hops and everything like that. What kind of beards are in the store for the, a homebrew shop? The guy who works there actually is clean shaven. He has no beard. That doesn't make any sense no, whatsoever. Well, we're not in Portland or Austin. So. I you're in a homebrew shop. That's that's basically mm, like that's an embassy it, for Portland <laughs> in Orlando. I, I guess that's true. I'll have to ask him next time why he has no beard. That's He's missing out. That is bizarre. Yeah, it's it's a waste, really. <laughs> that's true. Uh, so I guess uh, yeah, that was kind of the process for getting the greens that you want. Um, let's see. So we talked a little bit about hops, how you don't like hops. I don't. Hops were actually not included in beer until the 11th century in Germany. So before, And then they screwed it up. And then they screwed it up. So before, before hops, there was actually this kind of substance called groot, which was just like a mix of of herbs and flowers and roots, like juniper and stuff like that. Um, and that's what they used to, to flavor uh, the beer. But once hops started being added, hops are a lot more consistent and have more disinfectant properties. So it actually does a better job of keeping the beer fresh for longer, oh, which is I was cool. I going to say not getting you ill. That is also true, yes. Did life expectancy improve dramatically upon the use of hops in beer? It may have. Beer? I, I didn't look into that, but it may have. I don't know how often beer killed people back in the day. I, I don't think it was the number I mean, pl- one cause of death. Plenty of other things were killing people at the <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah, the 11th but, century was a rough time. But given all the <laughs> tales I've heard about how much booze people were drinking back then, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, it's actually a myth. Uh, water, there, there's no culture that drank more beer than water. Water is always consumed more. But beer is 
heavily consumed in in some European countries. That's not that's not a fun fact. Uh, sorry, it's way more entertaining to believe that monks drank people, two gallons of beer a day. There are people who think that, and that's uh, yeah. And that, I'm gonna keep thinking that because it doesn't matter. It, uh, I guess that's true. It's way um, more. This is this is John Hodgman. <laughs> wouldn't it be strange if this was true? And thankfully, lies are so much more compelling. And they history tend, is so irrelevant they that we may as well just make it up. They tend to be. So yeah. hops uh, started in Germany in the 11th century and then spread across Europe over the next 500 years and eventually just replaced everything that came before hops because hops tend, happen to be very convenient and are better at uh, flavoring and preserving beer than anything I've, else before. I've heard that some people actually like them, so... Yes, I some won't. I do. won't begrudge them too much for this. But uh, when hops came to England, uh, they were introduced by the Dutch, I believe. Um, the English actually made a distinction between hopped beer and unhopped beer. Uh, hopped beer, they called. Let's see, ale was what they called their their unhopped beer, which was the native English beer. Uh, they called beer hopped beer. Beer is a German word, so that's what they called it. So they made a distinction between ale, which had to be unhopped, and beer, which was hopped. Uh, the Germans actually set one of the other first rules for, for beer. It's the German beer purderall laws, the uh, Reihensgebot, I think it is. My German pronunciations are not very good. So I've... It, like, literally translates to purity law, if I remember right. Okay. So, um, but basically, their stipulation was that beer could only be barley, water, and hops. No other ingredients. Remember, this is before yeast was known about. Yeah. Well, so yeah. obviously, it needs yeast, too. Um, and it's interesting that they, they stipulated just barley because you can make beer with pretty much any other grain. It's pretty common with uh, wheat or rye or even oats was pretty common. But not in Germany. Not in Germany. One of the reasons was to try to prevent price shocks in the price of bread, which was made from rye and wheat. Uh, the other was so just farmer protectionism. A little bit, and the other main one was to protect the economic interests of Bavaria, which set these rules because barley was grown mainly in Bavaria. Yeah, again, the northern regions of Germany were rye and wheat. So. The common agricultural policy has a rich, storied <laughs> history in Europe. Yes, farmers have been getting kickbacks for many, many generations. Yeah, so that rule was amended once yeast was discovered. Um, actually, not even when yeast was discovered, because when yeast was discovered in, I think it was around 1680, people didn't really know that it was what caused the fermentation. They thought it was just um, like a catalyst for fermentation, and the fermentation just happened. It was actually Louis Pasteur in the 1850s, I believe. I think I wrote that down. Famous F1 driver. 1857, yes, Louis Pasteur, yeah. the famous F1 driver. He discovered that yeast is actually what causes fermentation, and then the German law was amended to include yeast as well, and eventually wheat. That's a that's a weird thing. Yeah. Like, it were were people getting shut down on the law? It's like that's got <laughs> yeast in it. That's not allowed. I'm sure that happens eventually. They're like, wait, we need yeast, but we're not allowed to have yeast. Like, what do we do? No beer for two years until we no. get this sorted out. And the adoption of the German beer priority law, law nationwide was actually a condition of German unification in 1871. Excellent. Yes, Bavaria <laughs> would not have German joined the German Union if it was not for. That. <laughs> that's a great rider. Yeah, it's pretty good. That's... So that's kind of the history of the, the laws of beer and stuff. Um, and it's interesting because uh, beer couldn't really be exported until hops were used because it didn't last very long. Hops actually preserve it pretty well. Uh, another thing that helped with the uh, kind of 
industrialization of beer was the invention of the thermometer in 1760 and the invention of the hydrometer in, I believe, 1780. Uh, both of those helped to actually control what you're putting in beer. In addition to the fridge shortly after, I assume. That helped as well, yeah. yeah. The icebox. I'm not actually yeah. sure when the fridge came out. I'm not sure. It had to be around that period, though. Yeah. Do you know what a hydrometer is? Nope. Okay. I'm going Does it that. measure water? It is very, sort of. It's very important in the beer brewing process as far as trying to get consistent beer. Uh, so what a hydrometer does is it kind of measures the, it's called the specific gravity. Also, the you can refer to it as the density or the weight of a solution in water. Uh, so water would be just 1.000. That's sure. the weight of water. Grams per centimeter squared. Yes. And uh, this measures the density. So if you have like ethanol or any type of alcohol, it's going to be less dense than water. So it's going to be like 0.9 something. Um, if you're brewing, uh, it's important because the solutions that you make are going to be higher than than one. Sure. Uh, so the beer that you make is going to be like 1.04. Um, and it's important because you can try to get the same original gravity each time that you brew uh, from the start. So if it's too low, you can try to add some more hops or more, more grains. If it's too high, you can add more water uh, to try to get that equalized. But you would, I mean, that sounds like a heuristic. It sounds like you would need to know what you're shooting for first. Sort of. And that just comes with experience. Like uh, nowadays, you know the specific gravity of all the grains that you're putting in. Uh, before, they wouldn't have known that. They just try to get it the same every time once they found something that they liked. Yeah, well, that's, that's I figure, that's yeah. that would be the only use for that. Mm -hmm. Yep. But it's pretty important for consistency. So, for example, um, pure sucrose. I think it's sucrose. It might be fructose. I think it's sucrose. Uh, a pound of pure sucrose in a gallon of water uh, has a, a specific gravity of 1.046. So anything that you make that's got a higher original gravity than that is considered a heavy beer. Uh, anything that you make that's going to be lower than that is going to be a, a lighter beer because it's going to have a lower alcohol content. Um, and one way to measure the alcohol that's also convenient with the, the gravity measurements, so hydrometers are pretty useful, is there's a, some formula where you take the starting gravity and you subtract from the final gravity after the yeast converts the sugars into carbon dioxide and alcohol. And uh, you take that ratio and it gives you the alcohol percent, which is pretty nice. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. Uh, the other nice thing about the hydrometer that's useful is uh, once you take, if you're taking hydrometer readings as it's fermenting, uh, once you get the same reading two days in a row, that means the fermentation stopped. Oh, okay. So you can know when that process happens. Nifty. Yeah, pretty useful. So that was a good invention. <laughs> so how much does a hydrometer run you? I have not bought a hydrometer yet. What? So everything I'm doing. Talking it up. And... Yes. Everything I'm doing is estimates right now based on the the specific gravities of things that are provided to me already. Yeah. Um, and I'm assuming that I'm doing a good enough job of brewing that my es those estimates are close to what the actual content of the uh, the wort, uh, the, sure. the beer is. So hopefully it is. I will get one at some point. How so much? Calculate how much exactly. does one of those cost? I I don't know. They're probably not that expensive. It's a pretty simple instrument. You can make one yourself. It's just like a little floating a homebrew hydrometer for your yeah. homebrew beer. <laughs> that would be hipster. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't need to do that. Uh, so that uh, so after that, once people started making their beer consistent quality, you could start exporting it, and that's when you see all like the national beer companies from Europe, like Guinness and and Heineken and all those. That's when they come around is the late 1700s, um, and there's also more stuff like uh, 
more varieties of beer started coming up. So there's a style in Belgium called a lambic that's still brewed the same way to, to this day. It's kind of weird. So usually you don't want to expose your beer to oxygen once fermentation is done. Uh, but for the lambics, they try to get wild yeast from the air to come in to, to ferment. So they just let it openly ferment for a little while. That sounds like the, um, I forget which country it is. It's like Swiss ham, or maybe it's like northern Italian hams that they just, they leave in bell towers on mountains <laughs> so that they can grow a nice thick moss. Oh, that's good. Uh, but don't worry, they brush that off. Yeah, of there's, course. There's a great documentary on that. that in the Discovery Channel where it's literally the, just this craggy old dude who's in his 80s or 90s or something, and he's got, no, with his hands. <laughs> okay. With just, like, his mountain man hands, he's just, like, wiping the ham off. That's kind of... Which I, makes I it much more expensive, that. of course. Oh, I'm, I'm sure you get yeah. that. And way better. Homemade quality. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then there are other st- weird. Europe is weird. So you have other styles like pale ales are an English style. They found when they were trying to transport beer to the New World on transatlantic voyages that it was spoiling. So they started just throwing more hops into it because hops act as a preservative because sure. they're antibacterial. And that's how we get the IPA, the India pale ale. It's just a super hopped version of it. So the pale it gets ale. even farther along, which is yeah. why I don't like IPAs at all. Probably not if you don't like hops. Yeah. Um, so one more thing that's interesting about this time period, uh, this was actually a little bit earlier, is all beers brewed up to this point were ales, because the only yeast that was grown or that was there in the old world, in Europe and Middle East and, and Africa, was a top-fermenting yeast. Um, so the difference between an ale and, and an ale and a lager is that uh, ale yeast sits on the top of the beer and ferments it there. Lager yeast ferments at a colder temperature, around 40 degrees Fahrenheit instead of 70 degrees, um, and it sits on the bottom of the the actual fermenter when you're fermenting. So what's the problem? Why couldn't they get... Why couldn't they square that refrigeration? No, it wasn't a matter of, of coldness. It was that that, uh, that strain of yeast didn't actually exist until the 17th century. So... Ah. Yeah. And you might okay. be able to guess of how that came about, but uh, uh, lager yeast is actually a hybrid. It didn't exist until the, the 17th century. It's a hybrid of ale yeast and a strain of yeast from South America. So lager yeast did not exist until the South American yeast met this Hence ale why yeast it's named after a yeah. Sherman thing, because yeah. it's South American. Yep. Yep. Um, and they hybridized, and so there was apparently some brewery in Bavaria or Czechoslovakia that was storing their beer uh, wort before they were supposed to ferment it in, like, a cool cave, like 40 degrees, and it fermented. And they're like, oh, we got this beer. I wonder <laughs> how. Um, so that's how lager yeast was discovered, basically. And that's how lagers are made, and now most beers are lagers. What's the newestest beer? What's the latest, greatest invention in beer technology? In beer technology, beers, I mean, there's there's newer styles, I guess, but they're mostly variations of old styles. Like, lagers were invented in the, the 17th century, and ales have been around a long time. There's not really, everything is a variation of an ale or a lager, really. There's nothing new. So, okay. it's either top fermented or bottom fermented. And you can actually make an ale with lager yeast. You can't make a lager with ale yeast. It's very sick. Have the mugs evolved? The mugs? I, I don't know. I wish I knew when the boot mug, das Boot, Had came around for, for Germany. When did people uh, start caring about head on beer? 
Uh, that probably didn't start happening until hops, at, at the very least, hops were around because uh, the, the actual uh, head retention. Um, part of that comes from the, the hops is what imparts that quality. Okay. So if you have no hops, it's not going to have a head. It just seems like <laughs> that that feels like the most newfangled part of beer to me. Yeah. From what I've seen from the outside. That seems like an obsession that I um I don't know. That feels American, frankly. I don't think it is. I think it's pretty consistent across uh, European and American culture that you want to get a about you know, three centimeters of head or a little Caring less. about it. Yeah. Just seems I don't know. There's yeah. It, it's not that it, it's kind of important some people think, <laughs> i don't think it's that important but uh <laughs> it's useful um so yeah that's the the main thing with the beer development and then if you look at american beer history and how homebrewing kind of started and why it sucks so bad american beer is good now it's got a bad rap because of like budweiser but got mm. a lot of good beer um but there were a lot of different um beers in america before prohibition a lot of different breweries Prohibition didn't kill off beer, but it basically killed off variety of beer. So it acted like a bottleneck. So you know how cheetahs have no genetic diversity because of some. Uh, I do some now. Some, yeah, they have zero genetic diversity. In I mean, I can believe that. But. Because of some uh, bottleneck that happened a couple thousand years ago. Yeah. Uh, same thing with prohibition and beer. So all you had after prohibition was American lagers like Budweiser and stuff like that. Mm. And uh, the beer companies ended up just consolidating over time. I think in 1979, there were only 44 brewers in America, which is not very many. That's not terrible. Do you have any idea what the number is now? Uh, it's over, it's probably around 3,000 now, if not more. That's quite a few. Yeah, so it's grown a lot. So Are people, you in that total? Uh, no, this is just like licensed brewers. Okay, so people uh, are paying taxes on it? Yes, Okay. Yeah. so excluding home brewers. But home brewers started, really, in America as a response to the fact that there was no variety in beer in the 1970s, and sure. there were only a couple beer and companies. Uh, some of the home brewers ended up becoming popular and successful, and they started their own craft brewers. So in 1980, there were eight craft brewing companies in the United States. Uh, registered. The, yeah, registered. Uh, in, 19, or in 2013, the last year that I checked, there were 2,600, something like that. So, and it's even more now. Sure. Because it's been growing a lot. There's an actual, like, legislated threshold for that, isn't there? Uh, it's not by law. It's by the uh, Brewers Association of America. So oh, crap for, oh, that's one way or the other. Yeah. There's a rule. There's a hard rule uh, I can't remember the exact this. number. I think the, it's around 2.6 million barrels uh, a year is the threshold for that's craft brewing year. Uh, so Sam Adams and Yingling come in just under that, which I have a feeling they helped to design that legislation so that they could. I can imagine, given, <laughs> given that making two million barrels yeah. a year doesn't exactly sound like a mom and pop operation to Not me. Not really, but they've, they've been around a while. Well, Sam Adams was one of the first craft brewers uh, back in the '80s. Yingling's been around a long time. They advertise themselves as the oldest brewery in America. Is it true? Oh, it is. Yeah, not continuously operational because of prohibition, but (laughs) (laughs) that's just a minor thing. It's a good technicality to try to get So they're they're the giants of craft brewing, and then under them is a bunch of other stuff. There's a lot of stuff now. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've been 21 for the last six years, so I could have been doing this earlier, but I got a kit for Christmas this year, so I started doing it. Oh, so you were enabled. 
Yes, I was enabled. I wanted to be enabled. Who's responsible? Uh, My parents bought me the the starter kit, so... And I'm still using, so most uh, craft brewers, if they're doing it, or most home brewers, if they're doing it on their own and have all their own equipment, are going to be doing five-gallon batches because uh, people do it in these like plastic or glass containers called carboys that are five gallons. So they can Inverted brew. water jugs. Yeah, basically. Um, and my, my brews are two-gallon batches, so a little bit smaller. Mm. But... Since I'm starting out, if I screw it up, it's less yeah, beer that I Yeah, I was going to say, making five gallons of yeah. bad beer doesn't really be more, sound better than you two. Be a little, you have to be a little bit more confident in your abilities than I am now. Yeah. I, I, yeah, eventually I may move up to five gallons, but I'm okay with two for right now. Yeah, it's that seems accessible. <laughs> How long does it take from end to end? So for for most beers, uh, that I, most of the ones that I have done, I would uh, uh, put it in the fermenter and the... the solution that you put in the fermenter is called the wort. It's just uh, basically sugars and water and flavors. <laughs> yeah. And that's um, that's called the wort. And that will take four days or so to actually ferment. Uh, but you want to leave it in the fermenter for about two weeks total, depending on what you're doing. If you're doing a more uh, a higher alcohol content beer or something that's a little more complex, you might want to leave it in longer. But for most beers, you want to do about two weeks. And then you can either keg it or move it to a bottle. And I've been putting it in bottles. And it takes another two weeks or so to carbonate. Okay. Yeah. So reasonably fast turnaround. And I don't assume you have to do all that much in the meantime. No. So for this last beer that I did, I took a uh, what's called a malted liquid extract. It's so mashing grains is hard. That is something that I would not want to do on my own yeah. because it is that part of it is actually more complicated without you actually have to control the temperature of the uh, the grains and the water as you're boiling it. That part I don't want to do. So what most people do and what I'm doing is uh, using a malt liquid extract uh, to skip that process. And I can also, what I did le- this last time for the first time is I steeped my own grains though. So we were talking about the, the crystal, uh, the crystallized grains. So yeah. Uh, I took some of the 20L crystallized green, which is a pretty light uh, crystallized green, steeped that in hot water for about 30 minutes to kind of leach out some of the sugars, uh, then put it into big pot of water with the malt liquid extract for about 60 minutes, added the hops that I was going to use at various points throughout that boil, because you're boiling that whole thing for 60 minutes, then added it into my fermenter. Uh, it's going to sit there for about Two weeks, two more weeks, then I'll test it out, see how it looks, and then bottle it. And then it should hopefully be good in another two weeks after that. Did you feed your first bottle from the first kit to your parents Uh, as retribution? Yeah, the first one turned out okay because that one was pretty idiot-proof. It's just a malt liquid extract, and you just put it in there, and you don't even do, like, a full boil. So. Oh, it's like their starter kit. It was very starter, so there's not much to it. What's been the chronology? So that was your first one. Was there <laughs> beer beer in a packet? <laughs> so uh, that was the first one was just the liquid extract, which is pre-boiled, so you don't have to, have to go through a full boil for that. You pretty sure. much add it to hot water and then <laughs> let it cool again. It's and like then, oatmeal, uh, but... It is very simple. Alcoholic. Uh, then I bought... Uh, so this is the Mr. Beer pack that I was using. So then I bought two more of those little packs, uh, made a different variety, with that same sort of thing, uh, without adding th- anything else. That one turned out okay. Uh, for the other one... Oops. What? I'm going to go. Oh, Sweet. yeah, okay. We're almost done here. No cool. 
Oh, we ran eh, 30 minutes. That's not yeah, too bad. Fine. All right. Uh, so for the next one, after that, so for my third brew, I figured this isn't too bad. I'll just go ahead and do something else. And this is the one that I screwed up. So naturally, when you're adding hops, you want to either dry hop them, so add them into the fermenter after the fermentation is done so that you get kind of the, uh, the aroma and everything, or you want to add them in during the boil. So uh, what you would usually do, and you can do different things depending on what you want exactly, but what I've done the last two times, which hopefully turns out better, is add hops, different amounts of hops in different types at 60 minutes left in the boil, 30 minutes left in the boil, and 10 minutes left in the boil. For this first one that I decided to do this, I don't know why I thought this, but I figured, oh, I'll just want to get a little bit more of the, the aroma, so I'll just add some at, and boil it for seven minutes, and then add some and boil it at one minute which isn't a good way to extract the oils because you're not going to really get anything out of that. All it really accomplished was it ended up flaking the hot pellets that I was using, uh, which I did not filter. So when I put them in the fermenter and then ended up bottling them, some of those hot flakes are still in the bottles, oh, which is excellent. what you want to avoid. Yeah. So, yeah, so you made two permutations. You, you went out on a limb and then tweaked going out on a limb. But I learned something, so yes, and yeah. that, was, uh, that was pretty pretty done uh, would it have been fine other than that one mistake uh maybe it might have been okay yeah so I, I think it's good oh the other thing that i may have screwed up with that one is i made it over carbonated so some of the bottles have a tendency to explode when you open them excellent so yeah that wasn't the only mistake <laughs> there what, were, wait what there kind of explode um well just uh it'll just fizz up okay like all right like uh, uh not baking like soda and not like the pressure no no you'd causing have to, them to you'd have to put in, in, it would have to be enormously overconfident uh overcarbonated for the bottle to actually explode that would be that'd, that'd be, be awesome yes this is more like a vinegar and baking soda type okay explosion that sounds all right yeah it's not too bad <laughs> so for the last two that i did i think i did a better job of actually going through the full boil and adding everything in um, one of the big things that you have to worry about is filtration, trying to filter it, because you don't want any solids in your sure. beer. Uh, if unless you, buy, you want it seriously retro. Unless you want to drink from a straw, yes. Yep. Um, so what the commercial doers, like Budweiser and other beers do, is that their beers are considered dead beers. There's no yeast in it, there's no solids or anything, it's just very clear. Uh, what most home brewers will do, because creating a dead beer is, is difficult, um, is that there will end up being yeast in the in the beer, in the bottle, when you put that in. And that's okay. But you don't want other stuff in there. There's some proteins that created, get created as a result of the fermentation. You don't want those to be in there because they're just a, like a solid chunk. Uh, you also don't want any hops, hop pellets in sure. there after you're done. <laughs> so there are a couple ways you can do, you can try to filter. What I did for the previous one, the one I just bottled on Wednesday, is I did what's called a cold crash. Uh, so for this, since it's an ale, you're going to be, you, you ferment around room temperature. It's upper 60 degrees Fahrenheit, lower 70s. Um, and what you can do is before you bottle, um, a couple days or a week before you bottle, you can cool it down to about 40 degrees. So I just stuck in the fridge for 60 hours. And what that does is in theory, at least, I'll see how it works. Is, uh, <laughs> it forces all the solid matter down to the bottom of the fermenter. Uh, so oh, okay. when you actually bottle, it's just the liquid. Okay. It should be so pretty it's... clear. Yeah. And for this last one, uh, instead of doing it that way, I just took like a pasta strainer and just filtered it as I went from the Let's... boil into the fermenter. So it I, be... I was... That one should be very clear. I mean, yeah. Well, that actually... I, mean, I was thinking if you wanted no. the ultra fine filtration, yeah. you could get a uh, you, you can could use, buy a Mr. Coffee. 
you can use that. Some people use giant coffee filters. Uh, you can also use what I read online is some people use there are these paint filters for like uh, oil-based paints that you would stick in a bucket so you can just lift it up and and it'll and it'll all come through so you can use that for for beer as well Hmm. yeah Yeah, no i would think that would be the the go-to yeah get some french pressed ipas that would be interesting so this one this this one that i just put into the fermenter should be very filtered should be pretty clear hopeful it's cool what do you think your odds of uh complete success are on this one on this one hmm um, the only thing that really rent went wrong during this one, during the boil is that I did let it boil over just a little bit. I caught it in time, so it wasn't much that boiled over. So I don't think that'll have a big effect on it. Um, otherwise it's really just whether what I put into it ends up not working. <laughs> but I think as far as the process, I think I did it okay and hopefully it'll turn out good. What's the next devolution of this where where is the next descent into madness with this well uh, if i had a garage i could do a whole setup with uh, tubing and uh, different types of fermenters and everything like that like what you can do another way to try to filter the beer is once it's done with fermentation so after four to five days is move it from your primary fermenter to a secondary fermenter uh, to try to get rid of the solid matter and everything the main reason that a lot of people don't do that is because it risks exposing the beer after fermentation to oxygen, which you do not want to do. What happens? Uh, what that can do is oxidize the beer. It creates off flavors that you don't want, and it can also... Uh, uh, it's mostly just the off flavors that you want to try to avoid. Oh, uh, that's so, disappointing. Yeah, no explosions gonna, or anything. Well, I figured it would make it toxic or something. <laughs> Yeah, well, that can happen. The The thing with avoiding toxicity is that uh, when you're done with your boil, before you move it into the fermenter, everything that touches that wort, that solution, has to be disinfected, has to be clean. Because at that point, uh, there's uh, lots of sugar in there. If bacteria gets in there, that bacteria will grow and cause the beer to be not safe to drink. That's, that's <laughs> what I figured. That's... Yeah. So it involves a lot of boiling of stuff that you're using to actually stir and transfer and stuff like that sure. <laughs> to try to kill stuff. But, I mean, that mostly just sounds like a real estate problem. Yeah, if I had uh, more equipment, uh, more space, more equipment, I could maybe do that a little bit easier. There's still a lot of cleaning involved. It's just like making meth on Breaking Bad. Of course. Most of it is cleaning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 98.6% pure. Yep. That's how I roll. So I know you probably won't try any in the future. I mean, I'll give it a shot. I always Maybe. do. I'm trying. To I, I have to constantly remind myself that I don't like beer. Yeah. It's like every once in a while I'll buy an onion to remind myself that I don't like them. Yeah. Well, uh, neither of these beers should be very hoppy, so that's a good thing. All right. Uh, one will be even less hoppy than the other. It shouldn't have much of a hop taste at all, really. Uh, and I'm planning, hopefully, to do my next trivia night. Around when both of these will be ready, so around like four weeks or so. So whoever's listening, you heard it here first. (laughs) Four weeks, I'll have two new beers. and Take notes on this log, since uh, there'll probably be a question related to it. There might be. (laughs) That seemed like an insidious motive for how uh, informative this podcast was, but regardless. There is some information. Well, I mean, I I don't know if anybody else will find it interesting, but I find it interesting. Whatever. That's what we're here for. Yeah. Info (laughs) dumps. Exactly. You got any other uh, things coming up or anything you want to add to? 
Uh, that's the main thing. I mean, if anybody wants to send in suggestions to the show about what style I should brew next, that'd be cool, because I have no idea right now. But, uh, yeah, other than that, I'm just... Vodka. Other than that, I'm just waiting right now for for two weeks before I bottle this next one, and then another couple weeks after that before they're both ready. Is it illegal to make liquors at home? I don't know. There is a limit for how much beer you're allowed to brew. Um, Without is, telling the government about it? Which is like 100 gallons or something. It's it's a lot. That's so, quite a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel for like... For hard liquor, I'm not sure, actually. I'm imagining that it's not... I, I would have to look The homebrew store does have some wine brewing equipment there. Some people do mm-hmm. make their own wine at home. So that must be legal. That's... I, I assume. <laughs> That seems like, uh, I mean, even more than the beer stuff, I mean, half of wine's appeal is historical, so making it yourself doesn't, that sounds like a non-starter to me, yeah. but I guess I don't know anything about it. Yeah, it'd be like cheap Walmart boxed wine that you make on your own. I don't know that you can really make nice yeah, I'm not, I, aged wine. Yeah, you can. There you go. You can make wine next time. That'll be... No, <laughs> maybe I'll make like an aged beer, something with high yeah. alcohol content and bourbon aged oak chips or something yeah. fancy like that you can come back in 20 years and we can try that yeah exactly <laughs> yeah that would take a while to actually condition properly yeah all right but yeah that's that's all i have <gasps> beer yeah you heard it here first and um that's weird <laughs> <laughs> mitchell it's the first time we talked about beer no i know huh. It's because someone else was going to have to bring it up. I wasn't going to bring it up. True. So. Yeah, it may as well be me. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Mitchell, for indulging. Uh, I'm not even sure what this is an indulgence of because it's like this bizarre cross-section of a thing. I mean, I guess that's what the Maclog's all about, though. Yeah. So, yeah. It's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. It's not... With it, some historical context. No, I know, but it's just... It's great because it ended up being, like, this full-on primer to the thing in addition to... Because it's not merely that you're experimenting on it. It You, you like, did a uh, frightening amount of research into... Yeah. Into not merely the history, but technology that goes into this. I'm not an expert. If I was an expert, I wouldn't need this page of notes I wrote down. But, yeah, <laughs> but I like it. It's interesting. That's fine. It flew. Uh, it flew by. So, cool. <gasps> that's going to do it for whatever day this is going up. The 17th. Mitchell, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. Good morning, everyone. <laughs>